Well, good morning. As Ryan alluded to, I am Pops. I am his dad, and uh, every once in a while, I get the opportunity when he is at drill to uh, provide the message, although it's, he is usually gone, so the pressure is off. But now he's here, so I had to review all my notes to make sure they were right. But we're glad you're here today and uh, take a portion of your Sunday to worship and share and embrace all of the changes that are taking place that will help make this church uh, a better place in, in which to worship. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing what the next couple of weeks brings, brings to bear. When Ryan uh, actually assigned the, the different subjects for this Good Life series, he gave me humility, which is not my strong suit. Uh, you know, I'm in sales. And so when you're in sales, there's not a lot of space for humility. It, it just does, they're like oil and water. It just doesn't happen. And so for the past probably 20 or 25 years, one of the struggles that I've had as an individual is how can you be humble and have humility as a characteristic in sales and yet at the same time be successful against individuals who don't share those values and will do almost anything in order to achieve and win against you. I wish I could say that I have it solved, but I don't. Uh, even tomorrow, going into tomorrow, it's going to be a series of challenges about how I can maintain that attitude of humility and those Christ-like qualities and still be victorious in a lot of the things that are, my company wants me to do in terms of, of winning business in a highly competitive world. So when I went through this particular uh, section of Scripture that Ryan had provided to me, it meant a lot to me because I could draw truths from it that I can apply immediately right after church, tomorrow, for the rest of the week, indeed for the rest of my life. So these are things that I hope that you too will be able to grab a hold of. But I wanted to open up this morning with a little bit of a comparison. A little bit of a comparison, if I may, because back in Jesus' time, approximately 2,000 or 2,050 years ago, there was a, a vast empire in play, and it was the Roman Empire. It was the most powerful entity in the world at that time. It was extremely powerful, and the, the, the head or the leader of that particular empire typically was known as Caesar. You hear Caesar referenced in Scripture periodically. But Caesar was the one that would lead the armies, and it would lead the armies into Germany and Britain and France and the, Far East, or the Near East, and it would conquer all of these different countries all of these different empires. And part of the celebration in Rome after the victory was won was that there would be an immense parade, a huge parade. And they would, first of all, at the very beginning of the parade, would have all of the captives and the prisoners of the, of the empire that they had conquered. And they would typically be walking along in chains, often to their own execution. They were going to be executed, but they were at the very front of this parade. Then next you would have probably all of the articles and, and the, the, uh, the treasure that they had taken from this empire. So somebody would be carrying all of the gold, all of the treasure, the paintings and everything else that they brought back to Rome. And then you would then next in line, you would have all of the senators and the representatives of Rome walking on foot, not on horses, but they would be walking after, 
these other, these other segments of the parade. It was a massive thing. It wasn't the Rose Parade by any stretch of the imagination. And then after that, you would have all of the lieutenants and the officers in the Roman army that had participated in that victory. And then finally, you would have either the winning general or Caesar himself. And he'd be in a chariot pulled by four horses. And he'd wear a, a, a purple toga with gold embroidery. And he'd have laurels on his head. And he'd have his servant next to him carrying his shield and his spear. And he'd sometimes even paint his face red in order to symbolize the blood of the enemy that he had conquered. So this parade was the epitome of pride and self-achievement. And all of Rome would come out and celebrate it. It was everything that an individual in that time, probably even in this time, in terms of recognition and pride, would want. Then I want you to just take a moment and compare that with what Scripture says about Jesus. In Zechariah 9.9, Scripture says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey. Even a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then that's kind of played out, if you will. Even back in John chapter 12. Jesus enters Jerusalem. In John chapter 12, verse 12. On the next day, a great multitude had come to the feast. When they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to cry, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And in verse 14, and Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written in Zechariah 9. So you have these contradictions, these comparisons. On the one hand, you have everything that the world provides, that the world aspires to in terms of recognition and pride and achievement. And on the other hand, you have a Christian perspective of what it means to be king. And Christ is the king. But it's all wrapped in humility. It's all wrapped in service to others. It's the exact opposite of what the world provides. And so you have this comparison, not just in the world, but I would also submit that we wrestle with this in our lives. On the one hand, we want the pride. We want the recognition. We want to be at the head of the table. And when I say at the head of the table, let's go to Luke chapter 14. And this is going to be the scripture that we kind of tee off on today. Luke chapter 14, verse number 7. So just to set a little bit of context, Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's house. Now, when they invite someone, when they invite Jesus to these particular events, they're not doing it because they like him. They're doing it for one of two reasons. Either they want to know more about him or they want to find the opportunity to pin him down, to ridicule him, to find a weakness. And so Jesus attends this celebration, this supper at a Pharisee's house. And we start off, I'm going to go down, if I could, to chapter 14, verse 7. And Jesus was speaking a parable to the invited guests. 
And when he noticed how they had been picking out seats of honor at the table, he said to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both shall come and say to you, give place to this man, and in disgrace you will proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place. So when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Well, Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, this idea and this concept of humility and humbleness, it's, it doesn't fly right now in the world that we exist in. Lord, it is a world filled with pride. It's a world filled with attention. It's a world filled with, look at me, uh, see how important I am. And Father, that flies in the face of everything that you teach that your son died for, the humility and the humbleness that comes from a true disciple. So we pray that we walk away, not in the power of pride, but in the power of humility today. And we can apply it and change the world in the image of Christ. For it's in your son's mighty and precious name we ask these things. Amen. So here you have Jesus, and he begins to talk about the fact that these people are jockeying for position at the table. And what he, what he looks at and what he probably has in the back of his mind is what Micah talks about. Micah talks about it in Micah 6.8. It says this, He has told you, old man, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That's probably one of the most succinct verses in the Old Testament about the relationship of a man to his God. But the fact of the matter is, is that we are to walk humbly before our God. We're to love justice and embrace it. We're to love serving others. We're to embrace it. And what Jesus sees as he watches these people jockey for position is that he begins to build in his mind a parable that's going to address it. Because humility is... Humility is a tough thing to nail down. When you think you have it, you don't. When you think you have humility and you talk to yourself about how humble you are, you're not. That's where pride begins to, to, to creep in and to steal from you that attribute of humility that you think you have and are so proud of. And so what we have is we have this very difficult concept that Jesus is now going to try to instill into the hearts and minds of the people that are in that room. But one other thing, and a little bit of a sidebar, if I may, as we move into the, this portion about humility, is go up just a little bit. Go up to 14, chapter 14 and verse number 1. And it came about when he went into the house of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath, to eat bread, that they were watching him closely. Remember how I said they invited Jesus to these particular events, and they invited him for one of two reasons, sometimes to learn more about him, but oftentimes just to pin him down and try to find a weakness in, in his ministry. And you'll notice that scripture says they were watching him closely. That means intently. They were watching what he did, they were watching how he did it, and they were watching what he said. 
And I would submit to you that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we can expect no less. And that's why humility is so important. When you leave here today, when you go into the world as it is, people, if they know that you are a disciple of Christ, they will be watching you closely. Just like they did him. And they'll be watching you closely for just the same reason. They will be watching you closely to find out the integrity of your life. They'll be watching you closely to see if you live out the tenets of Christ. Because one of the greatest arguments the world has today against Christian is hypocrisy. We say that we're we're Christ-like. We say that we're disciples, and yet our lives don't show it. We live a hypocritical lifestyle that in many cases validates what the world thinks of Christ. Says, okay, yeah. Brett, I know you say you're a Christian, but I see what you're doing. I see how you behave. I see what you laugh at. And there's no daylight between you and the rest of the world. You're just like the world. And so when they say that they're watching Jesus closely, they're watching you closely. And on the flip side of that, as disciples of Christ, we should be continuing, even today, to watch Christ closely, to keep our eyes focused on Him, because it's from Him, and not from our own abilities, and not from anything that we read, that we're going to understand the real concept of humility, and how life-changing it is. Not just for you, but the people that are going to be immediately around you. And so we have this situation where people are jockeying for position and they're trying to find their place at the table. So back in those days, you know, where you sat in relationship to the host of the party indicated how important you were. So the closer you were, the better off you were and the more and better you were recognized. And it's not too different today. I go into conference rooms all the time, and I make presentations. And I made one a couple of weeks ago down in San Diego to the CEO and all of the board members, all of the vice presidents. And I go into this room before everybody because I like to get there 20 minutes before, and I like to set up. I like to look at the room, kind of get a lay of it. Where am I going to sit? Where I sit is going to project who I am. They beat me to it. They said, Brett, you're going to sit right up there. And I thought, all right, the head of the table. I could do this. So I walked over to the, to the chair. I get into the chair, and it comes up to here on the table. And I'm trying to find the lever that will raise the chair, and it's broken off. I felt like a kid at a wedding at the kids' table waiting for the mac and cheese and applesauce. I'm sitting there, and everybody comes into the room. And they all sit down, and they're literally two heads above me all around the table, and I'm going, okay, this is a power play, right? I am here in that chair for a reason, and they're not going to do it. They're not going to get away with it. And so I went through my whole presentation like this, and the CEO, his name is Josh, and he's really a very nice guy, Um, He walks over to me after the presentation. Now, he's a young guy. And by young, I mean, is it probably in his mid-30s? 
and he is probably six foot four, six foot five, and he's got a tight t-shirt on, and Ryan calls it yoked. <laughs> is, that the, is that the term? I don't... Did I just say something inappropriate? This guy has biceps like this and a beard. He looks like he's in, you know, in the cage wrestling gig. And he walks over to me and he stands over me. And I'm looking out like I felt like a rodent about to be run over by a car. And he reaches down and he shakes my hand. And he goes, Brett, he goes, great presentation. But when we get into negotiations, I'm going to beat the L out of you. And I'm looking at him, I'm going, okay, Josh, well, I look forward to that day. And he walks out, but the whole concept of the table and the room and the intimidation, it's not just in Jesus' day, it's in my day as well. Where you're sitting and where you're positioned. And so Jesus looks at these people trying to move around, and he realizes, and we realize today, that as people are looking for places of position, that they equate meekness, the sister of humility, with weakness. Right? If I were to say that you were a humble individual, you might take that as a double-edged sword, almost a, 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 a backhand compliment, if you will. Because on the one hand, humility is a characteristic that we want to inherit, we want to have, because it is Christ-like. But on the other hand, in today's context, it's viewed as weak. You're weak because you're meek. You're weak because you're humble. And people will tend to run over you if you're humble, which is actually incorrect and the, the exact opposite of what Scripture says. So I'm going to point out a couple of things. Number one, when we say that we're humble, it's not a sign of weakness as a Christian because humility is drawn from our relationship with Christ. Our humility is drawn from the fact that we are not looking for the approval of the world. We're not looking to be drawn by the four-horse chariot. We are looking to model Christ who was the exemplar of humility. We're looking to model a very strong characteristic and attribute of our teacher, Jesus Christ. And so you have this whole concept of equating humility with weakness, and yet we understand that we are humble and we are meek because we understand where we stand. Excuse me, we understand who we report to, if you will. We understand who we love and from where we draw our power. <clears throat> so I just wanted to, to show this, if I may. Going back to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Jesus has entered Jerusalem in this segment. He now is in the Last Supper what we call the Last Supper. He's in the upper room with his disciples. There's nobody else really around looking. And Jesus sees an opportunity to demonstrate humility, which I like to say is power under discipline. Power under discipline. He's going to show humility, which is power under discipline. So we look at, at John chapter 13. Verse number 3. 
Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself about. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. That was probably the most demeaning type of activity an individual could do at that time. Even Jewish servants wouldn't wash the feet of people normally. It was left to the Gentile servants. And yet Jesus, seeing an opportunity to demonstrate what true humility was, and humility wrapped in service, gets up, wraps a towel around him, and begins to wash the disciples' feet. The incredible act of humility. But he didn't do it because he wanted the recognition from the disciples for what he had done. There was no pride involved here. He did it for a lesson. He did it so that they would see the humility that he wanted from them and also us, his disciples. He didn't want anything but to make an illustration. And he did it because in verse number three, it says that he understood from where he came and where he was going and what his mission was. It's the same with us. We can perform these acts of incredible humility incredible service because we understand we're not after the pride of the world. We are after the accolades of God. We are after an opportunity to model Christ to a lost and dying world. That's where we draw our pride, or pardon me, our ability. That's what we're looking to do. And so when Jesus is pointing this out through the the ability to wash feet, He's establishing the understanding that our strength and confidence doesn't come from what people think of us, but our strength and our confidence comes from where God puts us. Does that make sense? You can go out, and it's, it's liberating, folks. It is freeing when you understand that you can serve someone in total humility and total uh, absence of notoriety. And not expect any recognition at all because your foundation is knowing from whom you come, where you're going, and who empowers you. It's liberating. You no longer have to worry about what people think. You no longer have to worry about what they're going to say because you answer to one individual and one individual only, and that's Jesus Christ. And so you see the most obscure situation. And you see an opportunity to be humble and to serve. I, uh, I travel to San Francisco a lot on business. And so I leave from Long Beach Airport, I fly up to SFO, and I get on the train that takes me from the airport up to downtown San Francisco. It's called the BART. You guys ever heard of that? Bay Area Rapid Transit right? And you get on and it's a train and it takes you right up and it drops you off right in the middle of San Francisco. So I go up there for my meetings and I get back on the train. If you get back on the train going back to SFO, to San Francisco airport, anytime after 3.30, you are like a strap hanger in a sardine can. I mean, it is just like you're holding on and the train ride is 40 minutes. 
So you're standing for 40 minutes. Well, I get on early enough in the train where I have a seat. And so I'll open up my laptop and I'll begin working as the train's going back down to, to the airport. And the train fills up. And pretty soon people are standing. And again, I'm not holding myself up here, but when you, when you understand that opportunities to be humble and opportunities for service are everywhere, literally everywhere. The woman comes onto the train. She's homeless. She's carrying a very large backpack. And she is trying to fit into the bikes, the people, the, the wheelchairs and everything else. And she's standing there. And after two uh, stops, it becomes evident. Nobody is going to offer this woman a seat. Everybody's looking down at their phones. So I get up. I walk over. I, it's weird because I know the second I get up, somebody's going to get in that seat. So I'm trying to keep my, my foot and at the same time get her attention to come over and take the seat. But it's amazing that people will look at you like, you've lost your mind? This one, you're, you're giving her your seat? And those types of opportunities are everywhere. Literally, you go 100 yards away from this church, there's an opportunity to be humble and to provide service, not in our own abilities, but in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. They're everywhere. And it makes a change in that person's life. You may think, well, come on, you just gave her the seat. I don't, that's what I did but I don't know what impact that had on her day. I don't know what impact that had on her mentally. I see people on planes all the time, and, and when, the, uh, when the plane lands, man, before it even stops, people are up and in the aisle, right? And they're starting to open up the overhead bins and pull stuff out. But I've seen other people that have gotten into the aisle and people are, are, a woman may have trouble pulling a suitcase out of the overhead. And somebody will reach out and help them. It's a small act of service, but it's a humble act of service. And it just resonates all up and down the aisle of the plane. So don't think that what you have to do is huge in the service of God. In humility, the smallest act resonates in heaven. The smallest act resonates in heaven. So we understand that biblical humility flows out of strength and security. I'm going to go real quick back to Numbers chapter 12, and I'm going to provide you one more example of this. In Numbers chapter 12, Miriam and Aaron, who are partners with Moses, Moses is taking this vast amount of people out of Egypt and into the land of, of Israel, into the land of, that, the, that God had given the Jews. And it's a long journey. It's a horrible journey. But it's something that they had to do. The captivity was, was oppressive. They wanted the freedom away from the Egyptians. And here you have Moses who is leading this vast army of people, this vast number of people. And you can imagine that it gets overwhelming at times. But look what God inserts into the book of Numbers, chapter 12, verse number 3. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on 
the face of the earth. Now, I had a little bit of trouble with this initially because Moses wrote Exodus, and he wrote Numbers, and now he's injecting in there, hey, I'm more humble than any man on the face of the earth, right? How'd that happen? Well, there are thoughts that somebody later, perhaps Joshua or somebody, had inserted that into the text. But here you have Miriam and Aaron coming against Moses, questioning his leadership, and they insert that in there about Moses being the most humble man on the face of the earth, and yet understand the power that he had. Understand the power that he demonstrated as he led these people in humility. If you go back to Exodus chapter 3, where God first introduces himself and his mission to Moses, right? Moses says what? Who am I to do what you want me to do? And God's very clear that it's not you that's going to be doing this. It's me through you. So this act that we're going to do about freeing the captive Jewish people is going to be something that I've chartered, I've given you the responsibility for, but I'm going to be doing it. So he takes Moses' humility about who am I, and he says, you're everything I want you to be. You're everything that will enable us to accomplish this task of freeing the captive people. So when I talk about humility, folks, I'm talking about the fact that humility, what the world views as weakness, is actually based in strength and confidence. Confidence in who we have inside us, or inside us, in the Holy Spirit. Confident in who we answer to, Jesus Christ, our teacher, our Lord and our Savior. That's where we move. That's why we move with power and confidence in humility. The next thing that I see in humility is that humility is something that we do. It's not something that we feel. So let's go back to Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 8. Humility is something that we do. It's not something that you feel. It's not something like some days you wake up and you go, you know what? Today I think I'll be humble. Right? Because I feel humble today. I feel humble. Humility is something that we do intentionally. I know that sounds weird, but take a look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 8. Paul, writing to the church of Philippi, says this, And being found in appearance as a man, he, he being Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Paul points out the fact that Jesus, as powerful as he was, as impactful as he was, He wrapped himself and chose to be intentionally humble. It was an act of purpose. It was an act of intentionality. He was humble intentionally. And then Paul goes back a little bit further in that same chapter in verse number 5, and he says, have this attitude in you which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, remember how I said earlier, we're to closely watch Jesus? We're to keep our eye on him. We're to learn from him. We're to emulate him. In all situations, we are to be like Christ. And so Paul says, right there in chapter 2, verse 5, have this thing in, in, in you that was in Christ. He wrapped himself in humility, intentionally. It's not something he felt. It was something he did. 
And he doesn't do it under his own power. He did it, or he did it under his own power, but it's nothing that we do under our own power. We do it in conjunction with Christ. I'm going to go, I'm jumping around a lot today because this has so much to say. But if I look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 2, Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 2, Paul again, writing to the church at Ephesus, he says this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. So Paul again addresses the fact that we are to have this attitude of humility installed in us, embedded within us as we approach others in love. And we're to do it, not just feel it. And then the last thing. I think pride and achievement will ultimately exhaust you. You know, those, those people that are jockeying for position at the table that, that Jesus begins to address in Luke chapter 14. At some point, you get exhausted trying to meet the expectations of all the other people. You just do. You just do. I mean, it's trying to gain any sort of self-satisfaction is like having a diet of cotton candy. Man, it tastes good, right? You just love to eat cotton. I hate cotton candy, but it seemed like a good analogy. You're eating this cotton candy, and it tastes good, but nutritionally, there's nothing there. And you keep eating it, and there's nothing there. And, and so unless you're like my, my grandsons, uh, they would probably eat it regardless if there was any nutritional value. They'd probably love it. But there's nothing there that's going to sustain you. And that's the way pride is. Pride will ultimately exhaust you as you jockey for position around the table. I remember that there, were, there was a time when I'd go to the Angels game. And... Uh, the angels weren't very good, aren't very good, depending on how you view them right now. But there were several seats open up down below, right? Closer to the field. So I would get my drink and everything, and I'd go down and sit closer to the field. One of the most embarrassing things is when an usher walks up and goes, excuse me, can I see your ticket? And you go, and he goes, I think you're in the wrong seat. Well, dude, there's nobody around me for 30 seats. Well, it doesn't matter. You're in the wrong seat. Get up and go. And so you end up going back, and if there are people around you, it's a little humiliating. But that's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about don't exhaust yourself trying to meet the expectations of the world, but rest in humility. Now watch, going back to Luke chapter 14, as we finish off here. Luke chapter 14, verse 11. <clears throat> for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exhausted. That's the way Jesus finishes off that parable. He's saying, wait your turn. And you'll be exalted by God the Father, not by the world. And God the Father bringing you up is a lot more satisfying, a lot more sustaining. Wait for it. Don't go after the false cotton candy of the world by trying to get recognition and pride from a world that tomorrow won't care. It won't care. And then we finish it off with 1 Peter. Looking at 5, 6. 1 Peter 5, 6. Peter says this, 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. So operate in that sense of humility. Operate in that sense of, of being under the mighty hand of God. And at the appropriate time, just as Jesus said, in Luke chapter 14, verse 11, at the appropriate time, you will be brought up. I've told this story before. I don't, I don't know if I've told it here, but it's a good story, and it, it applies to what we're talking about. Back in 1903, there was a missionary couple, and they were over in Africa, and they had devoted the majority of their life ministering to the people the indigenous people of Africa. And they got on a boat, and they came home. And the boat docked in New York City. And the man and the woman got out on the veranda of the boat, the balcony, and they looked down at the dock, and there was a band playing. And a vast celebration taking place. And for one fleeting moment, the man thought, could they be recognizing all of the work that we did for so many years over in Africa? Got his hopes up. And then President Teddy Roosevelt and his entourage gets on the gangplank and goes down the dock. People are throwing their hats up, the band's playing. And the man realized that he wasn't the center of attention. That it was Teddy Roosevelt that was getting all of, the, all of the attention. And his wife turned to him and said, I know what you're thinking, honey, but we're not home yet. We're not home yet. And if it's anything that I want you to take away from what we're discussing today in terms of humility and being humble, it's the fact that you may not get the recognition that so many of us desire, so many of us want, but you're not home yet. And my encouragement for you is to understand that humility is not weakness. It's power under control. Humility is not a feeling. It's an intentional act. It's something that you can do in 15 minutes from now. Humility is not something that's only possessed by the great people of the Bible, Peter and Paul and Moses. It's something that you can have, you can possess. It's something that can change your life and the lives of everyone around you. It can change the lives of a person on a train. It can change the lives of a person on a plane. It can change the life of someone in your classroom. It can change the life of someone in the boardroom. Life may put you at a table where you're up to your chin. Be humble. Have an attitude of service. Remember, humility is not, is taking pride in where God puts you, not where people give you attributes and accolades. It's where God puts you. That's what makes it so special. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, I just pray that, uh, Lord, that as an individual and as a group, we would be humble, not weak, 
as the world sees it, but humble. And we would draw humility and strength and power through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, enabling us to do so many things. As he did, washing the disciples' feet, which was the ultimate act of humility. Help us, Lord. Attune us through the power of the Holy Spirit to the situations around us. Allow us to act in service through humility to people we don't even know that we'll never, ever meet again. But help us to have that one small act of humility and service that could change a life. And help us, Lord, to understand that as we do this, and we don't get recognized, that we're not home yet. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for this opportunity to worship you now through music. Change our lives so that we can change others. For it's in your son's mighty and precious name I ask these things. Amen.